So um, I haven't done it here, but in my previous parish, I, I love learning. So I take these online courses. You can take online courses from um, major universities, and I love to do that, just to learn anything. And one that was being offered was uh, the psychology of color. And I remember when that came through my feed, I was like, oh, what BS? Like, who would take that? But it kept coming through, and I was like, well, I'm kind of curious. So I paid for this uh, course, the psychology of color. And I really thought it was going to be just goofball, but really, it's amazing. There's a lot of science behind color. Like, how color affects you is really pretty amazing. Like, one is um, uh, that if you paint a room red or yellow, it has this effect where people, they stand more in the center of the room, they're more vocal, and they eat more. If you... <laughs> If you paint a color, <laughs> if you paint a, a room blue, people are more quiet, they stand at the edges of the room, and they eat less. So if you have teenagers, you want to save a little money, <laughs> paint the dining room and kitchen blue. Um, but it's really all this weird stuff, and I thought, really found kind of shocking. Then there is something that I found really hard to believe. And I'm not really open-minded, so how to double-check it. And there's this odd thing, and this is known in history. If you've ever studied, like, the Iliad, there's this really weird thing. He only mentions three colors. He never mentions the color blue, and only three colors. So this sounds strange, but actually, uh, liturgy majors for years thought that maybe the ancient Greeks were colorblind because Homer only mentions three colors. That's really weird. Never even describes the sea as being blue. So the thought was, well, maybe all the ancient Greeks were colorblind. And then somebody notices that really in all ancient literature, the color blue is never mentioned. That's really weird. Until the exact same century, then all of a sudden, in Hebrew and Greek and Chinese literature, the word blue is used. And the reason why is that the color blue is actually the last color to get a word for it. And here's the really amazing part. There's one place on earth, in Nibia, where they still don't have a word for the color blue. So that's kind of interesting. So. They took these people and um, they took 12 swatches of green, but made one a bluish green. And to the people in Nibia, if you said, which of these 12 swatches of color, which one's different? They can't point it out. And it's really obvious. It's bizarre. It's so obvious. So I just find that really hard to believe. But then the guy puts up 12 swatches of green. And he said, one of these is different, and most Americans can't pick out which one is different. And I'm looking at it, you know, on my tablet. There is no difference. So clearly, he's lying. Um, <laughs> so actually, I just cannot see the difference. But here's the odd part. They found out there's all these other factors that you have to take into consideration. This is the, this is the odd part. It's not what your eye is capable of. 
You have three rods and cones in your eyes that can pick up color. But it also matters how flexible your mind is. It matters how much anger or depression you have. And then you can pick out shades of color even more. So I just can't believe this because they look exactly the same to me. So I take them to my parish office and I'm holding up to my staff and I said, can you tell me which color is different? And they're all normal, so they all say, no, they're all exactly the same. And then my parish nurse shows up and Monique, and she's Dutch. English is her second language, but you wouldn't know it. But she comes around the corner and says, what are you guys looking at? And I said, can you tell if any of these colors are different? And she says, yeah, it's obvious. It's that one. And she nailed it. And, but she speaks two languages. And then Marcella comes in. Marcella's from Mexico. And uh, asked Marcella, can you tell which color's different? And she said, yeah, it's, it's that one. It's really obvious. And we're like, we can't see the difference. Isn't that bizarre? Because like, you kind of think, no, it's just reality is reality. It's not. Even if you have the rods and cones, what matters is how flexible your mind is. How, like if you're angry, you don't see as much. They even did this experiment with kids where with some little kids, they never used the word blue around these kids. And then after a couple of years, they asked them to describe, well, what color is the sky? And they'd always say white. Or children who have gone through trauma, any child who's gone through trauma, they notice that they stop coloring. Everything's black and white. And one indication that a child has gone through some sort of trauma is that you can hold out the crayons, but they won't use the colors. It's all black and white. And the odd part is, even this, the more anger or uh, fear you have, you're less able to pick out shades of color. That's really bizarre. It's not just rods and cones. And, you know, like, we human beings, we have uh, three rods and cones. And then there's some people, kind of strange, they only have two rods and cones. That's colorblind people, right? Here's the really, okay, I was making a joke about colorblind people. Um, uh, I shouldn't have, you're right. I mean, what kind of, oh, he, you are, okay. Never mind. Well, the good news is you may only have two rods and cones, but there's also, and this is really shocking, there's some human beings that have four rods and cones. So they're called tetrachromats. So they should, should be able to perceive a lot more color than the normal human. And like one guy, um, he turns out to be a hunter and a wildlife painter. But could you imagine if you're a hunter, if you can see even wider amounts of shades of color, it makes you a much better hunter. So they found these tetrachromats and they test them and it is amazing. They can see more color. But, this is the odd part, They're, uh, the tetrachromats they did this test on were all women. But some of them couldn't. They have the hardware that they should be able to see a lot more color. But certain women, they couldn't see any more than anybody else. So psychologically, why? They have, the heart, they have the machinery to do it, but the women either had problems with anger or unforgiveness or um, depression, and all that interferes with your ability to see color. Um, anyhow, my main point about going off on this color, you could say, 
you know, you just look at reality and it is what it is. You, no. You can't just see reality. You have to prepare yourself to see reality. People who speak a second language, more color. People who are anger, trauma, or depressed, they don't see as much color. That it's not just a matter of hardware, of just looking at reality. You have to be prepared to see it. So a lot of people say, well, if Christ exists, why didn't he just write Christ in big letters across the sky? What makes you think you would see it? Because scientists prove you can only see that which you're prepared to see. They've actually did these huge studies. You can only see that which you're prepared to see. So even if Christ writes his name in the sky, you might not be able to see it because you're not open to seeing it. Even like, just a little bit more on this, um, like psychologically they've discovered, you know, you just don't see reality. You see reality as you are. So, um, this sounds kind of strange. If you have a lot more anger, you see reality a different way. If somebody's isolated, they're very lonely and isolated, um, they actually judge everything far more fearful, much more difficult. Mountains are steeper. Everything's more difficult. People that live in community with a sense of connection to other people express less fear, uh, more accurate on like this sounds, the steep of a mountain and everything else. You're actually more accurate when you live in community. So humility, uh, you know, a sense of connection to other people, less anger, less fear, and you get better at perceiving reality. Maybe all the colors of Christ are right out there, but you can't see them. Not because you lack the hardware, you lack the software. Um, does that make any sense? So in Advent, we're praying that, you know, we're lighting the candle. We're praying that we can see the light of Christ all around. But I said the problem is that you can only perceive reality uh, based on who you are. So there's this line from the Talmud. I like it. It's a great line where it says, most people don't see reality as it is. They see reality as they are. If you want to improve your vision on seeing God, improve yourself. That's a great line. So, yeah, if we want to see Christ, uh, yeah, during Advent, this is the time. We want to make sure our eyes can see everything. Get rid of the anger or fear. Live in community. And maybe we'll be better at seeing the light of Christ all around us. Because, yeah, scientifically... You can only see that which you're prepared to see. And it's not like Christ isn't here. Our theology is that the light of Christ surrounds us. It's just a question whether you can see it. And so the church, we do this thing of four weeks of preparing that we want to be able to see all the range of the presence of Christ. And I think when we get to heaven and everything is revealed we'll realize, wow, I, we missed so much. The presence of Christ was all around. And we're the ones who are colorblind and uh, you know, not noticing. And so the reading today from like the gospel reading about John the Baptist, that's actually about being open to see. Because John the Baptist, um, like he's a wild man. Nobody would ever invite John the Baptist to the house. You know, you wouldn't want him at a dinner party. He doesn't shower. And, 
Like, he wears camel hair, he eats grasshoppers. He just does not fit into society. And that's his strong point. He's not concerned about conformity. He's concerned about truth. And the image there is John the Baptist is so humble that he can recognize the presence of Christ. So he's so humble, when Christ comes, he can say, Behold the Lamb of God. And John the Baptist, he's the one who truly sees. And he calls other people out into the desert to go to the Jordan River. Not just to the Jordan River. The exact point that when the people came into the Promised Land, that's the water that they passed through. He takes them right back to the beginning. And who are the people who showed up with John the Baptist? They're the people who want to see the world differently. They don't want to see the world as they've always seen it. They want to see it with new eyes. And so John the Baptist cries out what's in the first reading. Level every mountain. Fill every valley. What does that mean? That means you want a whole different panoramic view of the world. Level every mountain. Level, level every mountain of pride. Fill up every valley of fear. Then we'll be able to truly see. That line comes because um, in ancient times, if a king was visiting the city, if the king was coming to Coeur d'Alene, you would make sure the road is clear for the king to come in. The idea is that we want to clear everything out of our uh, obstacles so that we can truly see reality, that we can see Christ in a lot of places. Maybe we only have this much of the shades of Christ. Christ is all around us. So Advent is not saying Christ is about to come. Advent is Christ is here. Can you see him? Or the first reading from Baruch um, kind of picks up with this idea of seeing, but you have to know the backstory of Baruch. Baruch, the people are arrogant, uh, arrogant and corrupt, and they call themselves religious, but they, they're not religious. They can't even see God. They can't hear or see God. Then they lose everything. They lose everything. And that's the best thing. And they thank God because they gained humility. That sounds kind of strange, but once they lost everything, they realized, wow, that hardship was a good thing. It taught us humility. It's like teenage kids who, when they go to college, they're thankful for what their parents did. Once they realize, wow, my parents made me toe the line, but it was an advantage. So in Baruch, the people realize, oh, no, God did this, but it made us humble. And now we can see the world differently. We can see the glory of God. Um, take off your robes of mourning. Now we can really see the splendor of God. So for us in Advent, our prayer is the world is filled with a lot more color than we realize. The world is filled with a lot of the presence of Christ. We're the ones who can't see it. We have to improve ourselves. The same way you can train yourself to see more color why can't you train yourself to see more of the presence of Christ? That's what the Bible is saying. And remember what I said about the tetrachromats? That some people, they're gifted, that they, they can perceive a lot of color. Um, maybe our souls are tetrachromats as well. Maybe our souls are designed to pick up all the presence of Christ. We've just dulled it by anger or depression, and we've limited our view. During this Advent, our prayer, that why we light the candle, wear purple, 
We want to see with completely new eyes. We want to see the reality that Christ always surrounds us. It's whether our eyes are open. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comments section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.